The belief that God is sovereign in grace does not affect the urgency of evangelism. Whatever we may believe about election, the fact remains that people without Christ are lost and going to hell. Pardon the use of this tarnished phrase. I use it because I mean it. Unless you repent, said our Lord to the crowd, you all will perish. And we who are Christ's are sent to them to tell them of the one, the only one who can save them from perishing. Is not their need urgent? If it is, does that not make evangelism a matter of urgency for us? If you knew that a man was asleep in a blazing building, you would think it a matter of urgency to try and get him, wake him up and bring him out. The world is full of people who are unaware that they stand under the wrath of God. It is not similarly a matter of urgency that we should go to them, try to arouse them and show them the way of escape. We should not be held back by the thought that if we were not elect, they would not believe us and our efforts to convert them will fail. This is true, but it is none of our business and we should make no difference to our actions. In the first place, it is always wrong to abstain from doing good for fear that it might not be appreciated. In the second sense, the non-elect in this world are faceless men as far as we are concerned. We know that they exist, but we do not know and cannot know who they are. It is, a futile, it, it is as futile as it is impious for, for us to try and guess. The identity of the reprobate is one of God's secret things into which his people may not pry. In the third place, our calling as Christians is not to love God's elect and them only, but to love our neighbor, irrespective of whether he is elect or not. Now, the nature of love is to do good and to relieve, and relieve need. If then our neighbor is unconverted, we are to show love to them as best we can by seeking to share with him the good news without which he will perish. So we find Paul's warning teaching everyone, not merely because he was an apostle, but because every man was his neighbor. And the measure of the urgency of our evangelistic task is the greatness of our neighbor's need and the immediacy of his danger. The belief that God is sovereign in grace does not affect the genuineness of the gospel invitations or the truth of the gospel promises. Whatever we may believe about election, and for that matter, about the extent of the atonement, the fact remains that God in the gospel really does offer Christ and promise justification in life to everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, Romans chapter 10, verse 13. As God commands all men everywhere to repent, so God invites all men everywhere to come to Christ and find mercy. The invitation is for sinners only, but for sinners universally. It is not for sinners of a certain type only, reformed sinners or sinners whose hearts have been prepared by a fixed minimum of sorrow for sin, but for sinners as such, just as they are. As the hymn puts it, let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. The fact that the gospel invitation is free and unlimited, sinners Jesus will receive. And welcome to Jesus Christ is the glory of the gospel as a revelation of divine grace. There is a great moment in the Holy Communion service of the Church of England when the minister utters the comfortable words. First, the congregation confesses its sins to God in language of extreme strength, our manifold sins and wickedness, provoking most justly thy wrath. The burden of them is intolerable. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us. Then the minister turns to face the people and proclaims to them the promises of God. Hear, that, uh, hear what comfortable words our Savior said to all that truly turn to him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Hear also what the apostle Paul said. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, 
Hear also what the Apostle John said. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. Why are these words comfortable? Because they are God's words and they are all true. They are the essential gospel. They are the promises and assurances which Christians who approach the Lord's table should come trusting. They are the words which the sacrament confirms. Note them carefully. Note first their substance. The object of faith with which they represent is not mere orthodoxy, not mere truth about Christ's atoning death. It is not less than that, but it is more than that. It is the living Christ himself, the perfect savior of sinners, who carries in himself all the virtue of his finished work on the cross. Come unto me. He is the propitiation for our sins. These promises direct our trust, not to the crucifixion as such, but to Christ crucified, not to his work in the abstract, but to him who wrought it. And note, second, the universality of these promises. They offer Christ to all who need him, all that truly turn to him, any man who has sinned. None are shut out from mercy, save those who shut themselves out through impenitence and unbelief. Some fear that a doctrine of eternal election and a reprobation involves the possibility that Christ will not receive some of those who desire to receive him because they are not elect. The comfortable word, words of the gospel promises, however, absolutely exclude this possibility. As our Lord said elsewhere, uh, uh, as our Lord elsewhere affirmed, excuse me, in emphatic and categorical terms, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. It is true that God has from all eternity chosen whom he will save. It is true that Christ came specifically to save those whom the Father has given him. It is also true that Christ offers himself freely to all men as their Savior and guarantees to bring to glory everyone who trusts in him as such. See how he himself deliberately juxtaposes these two thoughts in the following passage. I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. All that he has given me. Here is Christ's saving mission defined in terms of the whole company of the elect, whom he came specifically to save. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him, here is Christ's saving mission defined in terms of the whole company of lost mankind, to whom he offers himself without uh, distinction and whom he will certainly save if they believe. The two truths stand side by side in these verses, and that's where they belong. They go together. They walk hand in hand. Neither throws doubt on the truth of the other. Neither should fill our minds to the exclusion of the other. Christ means what he says no less than when he undertakes to save all who trust him than when he undertakes to save all whom the Father has given him. So this is a small excerpt from Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, uh, written by G.I. Packer. Um, I'm sure many of you guys have uh, heard of G.I. Packer. He's a famous Anglican, um, and uh, he went to be with the Lord earlier this year. Um, as it stands, um, coincidentally, I happen to have a, an extra copy here for anybody who has, uh, who's interested in reading it. Um, so in this book, obviously, just as the title suggests, um, he's wrestling with evangelism and the sovereignty of God. So if you've uh, wondered, how do these two things coincide? How is it that God is responsible for, uh, for, for their um, uh, uh, repentance and faith towards God and also God's sovereignty? If that's something that you're interested in, this book is for you. So who would like it? Any takers? There we go. 
Okay. Well, a uh, warm welcome to you all. Um, as Nick has said, this is the first week of Fall Formation Offering, and uh, this class is titled Good News is for Sharing an Introduction to Evangelism. Uh, most of you already know me. Uh, my name is George Paz. I just want to give you a tiny little bit of background about myself. Um, um, so I'm a first-generation American. I was born in Mexico, um, came to the U.S. when I was two years old, um, served in the Navy, was in Washington, D.C., met my wife, Ashley. Uh, we moved here to Louisville back in 2014 and uh, went to Southern Seminary. Um, I received my Bachelor of Arts in Biblical and Theological Studies um, and my Master of Divinity in Islamic Studies. Um, I often joke about how weird it is to, be, to have a Master of Divinity because um, it's claiming that you mastered the divine. And uh, I assure you that I have not, so I, I promise you that. Um, so I want to make a quick confession. Uh, this is the first time that I've ever led a class um, of this size, so... Um, so anyways, I apologize in advance if I make a blunder. My wife and I uh, frequently joke that I, I often mix up the subject and the direct, um, thank you, the direct object of the sentence. So I end up switching words around in my sentences. So if I say something totally off, somebody please raise your hand and correct me. Um, so I want to give a quick outline for the next several weeks. Um, today, it's just going to be a very quick introduction into the topic of evangelism. So... Uh, today, what we're going to do is we're going to do two things. We're going to define evangelism, and we're going to define the gospel. So that's it. So it's a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty basic what we're going to be doing today. Um, and then going into the next following weeks, um, we're going to discuss about the biblical warrant and the command for us to evangelize. Uh, we're going to uh, uh, talk about what evangelism is not. We're going to look into some biblical examples of conversions. We're going to go through the scriptures and see uh, people who were converted in the New Testament. Uh, We're going to talk about the necessity to clearly articulate the gospel with our words. We're going to talk about practical tips and advice and sharing uh, the gospel, uh, relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And we're going to reflect on uh, the good news of God's election and our efforts to evangelize, how God's election is actually something that should encourage us in our evangelism, not hinder us. Um, And then the last three weeks, we're going to discuss evangelizing to three different types of people. So the first one is going to be evangelism to Muslims. Uh, the second one is going to be evangelism to Jehovah's Witnesses. And then the last week, we'll talk about evangelism to Mormons. So those are going to be our last three classes. And of course, I might shift this around a little bit as we go, go, uh, go throughout the weeks. Um, so anyway, uh, now that we've gone through the outline, um, let's go ahead and just take a quick moment and uh, pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you most supremely for the gospel. We thank you for your eternal and measurable love that you've showed for us on the cross. We thank you, Lord, that though we were sinners, yet the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Lord, we thank you for your eternal love for us. Lord, we are not worthy uh, to know you, uh, but Lord, you have made us worthy because of your son. And we thank you, Lord, that when you look at us, you look not at us and our sins, but you look at Jesus. You look at his righteousness. We look at his perfection. Um, Father, we thank you for your mercy. Uh, We thank you also for the opportunity to think and study about evangelism. Um, Lord, we pray that you would be with us in these coming weeks. Uh, We pray that you would help us not merely to learn, but to apply them in our lives. Um, I pray that what is said in this class would be useful to others, and what is not, that you would erase it from our memories. Uh, Finally, we pray for the lost around us. We pray that you would open their eyes to behold you. Lord, we pray that you would begin to soften their hearts and their need for you. 
We pray that you would give us a heart of compassion. Help us to see others as you see them. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, we pray. Give us boldness. We pray all these things for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, So for the rest of our time today, like I mentioned already, we want to discuss two things. Uh, We want to go back to the basics, if you will. Um, So first, we'll want to define what is evangelism. And uh, second, we'll discuss what the gospel is. Um, So what is evangelism? Here, I'm going to turn it over to you guys for a second. What is evangelism? Any, Any thoughts? Any suggestions? Sharing the good news with other people. Sharing the good news. Anybody else? Any other comments? Make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of all nations. Great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. These are these are true. Yeah, absolutely. And this is this is evangelism. Um, I mean, there's no secret um, uh, that that is evangelism. Um, and um, uh, there are, uh, you know, many different definitions that we can pull out from where, you know, it takes uh, evangelism in its most basic form, kind of like what we've just done, um, or it, you know, defines that into this really long uh, definition. But um, um, for, for our sake, uh, why don't we just take a, one of those longer definitions and just break it down bit by bit and, uh, and really consider what it is that we're trying to accomplish. What, what is it that we're trying to do with evangelism? Uh, so Dr. Bucher, who we had the honor of listening to yesterday, he provides the following uh, definition of evangelism. Evangelism is the compassionate sharing of the good news of Jesus Christ with lost people and the power of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of bringing them to Christ as Savior and Lord, that they might in turn share him with others. So I'm going to show that again. Evangelism is the compassionate sharing of the good news of Jesus Christ with lost people and the power of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of bringing them to Christ as Savior and Lord, that they might in turn share him with others. So let's, uh, let's break down each part of this uh, definition. Uh, first, evangelism is compassionate in nature. Um, so this must be the foundation in all of our outreach ministries. Uh, we, she, excuse me, we seek to share the good news with others because God in Christ was first compassionate to us. Just as Christ treats us with compassion, uh, so too we must reach others with compassion. Evangelism is not abrasive. Um, it is not manipulative. We're not uh, forcing someone to make a decision for Christ. Um, it's, as one person has said, uh, one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. Um, Second, evangelism is the sharing of the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, So the means of communication or sharing is through words. Um, It can be written, of course. There's nothing wrong about uh, written words. But uh, most evangelism is done through our verbal face-to-face or mask-to-mask communications. Um, So the message delivered is nothing else but the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the subject of what we're talking about. Um, It's not... Uh, it's not our testimony per se, though that can be part of uh, of what it is to evangelize, or excuse me, in our evangelism, we might share our gospel, our, our our testimony, excuse me. Um, but the message, the core of what we're doing, is we're sharing the gospel. Uh, Paul says in First Corinthians chapter two, verse two, "For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified." Third, the recipients of our evangelism are for lost people. So this might seem a little basic, but, uh, but it needs to be said. In order for us to be uh, faithful in our evangelism, we must go where non-believers are. Uh, where is that? That's going to be outside the church. It's, it's typically not going to be here within the church. 
um, brothers or sisters, whatever your vocation or your calling, you are surrounded by unbelievers pretty much all the time, uh, Monday through Saturday, pretty much surrounded by unbelievers everywhere you go. Uh, the only exception to that is probably right now, uh, Sunday morning, when you're surrounded by a bunch of Christians. Uh, so consider that for a moment. God has put you in a specific place where no other person has that particular advantage to be in the situation that you are in to share the gospel with others. You have opportunities to share the gospel with these people that nobody else in this room has. So if you're not going to share the gospel with them, who will? Um, we will have non-believers, I'm backing up a little bit, we will have non-believers come to Grace Anglican, obviously. Um, people will visit us, people will, uh, will join us, but these people are few and far between. So uh, just consider the ratio of that. The, the unbelievers that are be coming to us is significantly smaller compared to the vast amount of unbelievers that are out, uh, outside of the church. So in order, in order for us to successfully evangelize, uh, we can't just sit around and we can't wait for the people to come to us. We must go to them. Um, this reminds me of Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15. Uh, Paul says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Uh, fourth, evangelism must be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, this should bring us great comfort. Evangelism is not done in the power of George, in the power of Ashley, in the power of John. Um, it's in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, brother or sister, you have the third person of the Trinity dwelling inside of you. Do you not think that God will provide you the grace and the means to step out of your comfort zone and evangelize? Uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20 says, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to the Son. And the Son has commanded you, brother or sister, not just the apostles, to go and make disciples of all nations. Furthermore, he's promised to be with you always to the end of the age, he says. How is he with us? Through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that's, in, that's within you, in your hearts. So as we evangelize, we do so with compassion and with the power of the Holy Spirit. We depend on his wisdom and power, not ours. Fifth, the purpose of evangelism is to bring lost people to Christ as Savior and Lord. A mere intellectual conversation about religion is not evangelism, uh, nor is an exchange of an ideas, though that may be a bridge to the gospel. Uh, that, that's not necessarily evangelism either. We evangelize so that others would see the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. Uh, and seeing it as such as good news, they fix their eyes on Jesus and run to him. This is the purpose of evangelism. Uh, finally, the purpose of evangelism is to multiply the kingdom of God. Um, so as we share the gospel with others, we trust that they too will share this good news and also make disciples. So this is a, a factor of multiplication. Um, so as we evangelize, we, we think not so much on the immediate also, but, but also on the future. Um, when I'm sharing the gospel with others, and by God's grace, if somebody comes to faith, uh, either now or down the future, Lord willing, that person is going to go and do likewise. 
and, uh, and we should view that as a blessing. Uh, we take for granted the fact that God has called us his ambassadors. We are his messengers, his official representatives here on earth. And this is a privilege that not even angels are able to partake in. Indeed, indeed, the Bible says that our ministry of sharing the gospel is something that, quote, angels long to look. So we carry this out as a great privilege. We look to the future and anticipate that, Lord willing, these people would turn and evangelize to others. So let me pause here and um, open it up to any questions of the definition of what evangelism is. Anything that I've mentioned so far. Okay, so now that we've broken down uh, what evangelism is, uh, let's shift and talk about uh, what the message of evangelism is. So, again, this is going back to the basics, uh, but that's okay. So let's ask each other, uh, what is the gospel? So, again, let me open this up. I don't want to be the only one talking up here. Um, Any suggestions? What is the gospel? Jesus came and died for us so that we can have a relationship with the Father. Thank you. Yes, sir. Yeah, so emphasizing Jesus is the Messiah. Redemptive story that contains a promise for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Amen, amen. Yeah. Did you have that memorized? No, the kids did. Okay, all right, good. That's wonderful. You guys are doing great parenting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There we go. Yes, please. Underlining sin and the need for payment for sin. Yes. Yes. New life. Resurrection. Yeah, I know. I, I 100% agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That that may be true, but that's not the ultimate good news. That's right. not the gospel. That's yeah. that's exactly right. Yep. The proclamation of the law. Mm-hmm. You can't see your need for sin without understanding God's law. I know you've transgressed that law. And we do that in our liturgy. Yeah. I'm repeating back what you guys are saying so everybody hears. And, uh, mm, okay. Yeah. 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 So these are these are great answers. Um, and uh, yeah, there's there's certainly truth in, in a lot of uh, what's been said. Um, so um, yes. So this what we just talked about that is good news. Um, and uh, it can it can be hard when you know when you're asked you know what is the gospel because we you know we want to share so much you know there's so much that can be said when. When we say, what is the gospel? And, you know, likewise, we can also try to narrow it down to its most basic form. Um, but, uh, but anyway, what I want to provide uh, with us here is, again, just a foundation. I know you guys already know the gospel. I'm preaching the choir. You guys are Christians. I know this. Um, but I, I just want to go back to the basics. want to lay down a foundation so that when, we, when we're talking about evangelism and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, we actually know, we can actually think in our minds, okay, what is the, the most basic, if I only have five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes of my time, what in its most basic form is it that I need to share? What is the gospel? What is it that I need to, to, uh, to share? And, uh, and what I have found in my own uh, life is, uh, Nick, uh, how, how long do I have? Um, 12 or 15 minutes. Okay. Um, uh, so, uh, excuse me. Um, so what I have found the most helpful in my life when I'm, seeking to share the gospel with others is, um, is just four simple words. Uh, God, man, Christ, response. Um, so as you're going out into the world in the power of the Holy Spirit, as Nick sends us out um, after, after the service, and um, as you're 
praying that God would make you sensitive to opportunities to non-believers around you. And as you trust in the Holy Spirit's power working within you and trusting in his strength, not yours, uh, and as you're praying and saying, God, give me the words to speak, help me to know what to say, um, you can remember God, man, Christ, response. Um, so first, um, there is a need to, um, to talk about God. Now that's, that's the best place to start. So uh, this is going to what David was saying. Um, so in order for us to have a successful uh, conversation about uh, what the gospel is, uh, they need to understand that God is relevant in your life. In fact, he is the creator. He, God created everything and everyone. Um, he is the sustainer of all things. Um, God is not you. Um, this world is not here by chance. Um, God created everything, and thus he is the king and the judge of all. Uh, when God created everything, everything was perfect. Um, so going back to Adam and Eve, um, there was no sin uh, in this world. When we, uh, at, at that time, uh, Adam and Eve had communion with God. They were to speak to one another, um, and, uh, and everything was good. Uh, when he created human beings, we were made in the image of God. Um, so what, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Uh, we are made in the likeness of God. We have intellect. We have emotions. Um, and that's fast-forwarding a little bit. That's why we can see even good things from sinners, right? Because they're still made in the image of God. They're marred. But they're still made in the image of God. Uh, so man, uh, man is, again, created in uh, the image of God. Um, and uh, we had communion with God until the fall. Um, after the fall, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, um, obviously that was a very uh, stark change in the nature of humankind, where even though we were made in the, in the image of God, we were fallen. And, uh, and there was that uh, separation between God and man. Uh, the Bible paints a very stark picture of mankind. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. This is from Romans 3. Uh, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. These aren't my words. This is what the Bible says. Um, and as you're speaking with others and telling them of the law, like what you were saying, Ashley, um, and, uh, and telling them that we, you, you and I, all of us, we have all transgressed against God. We've all sinned against God. Um, and, uh, and if we're honest with ourselves, we, we know how broken and, uh, sinful we truly are, um, every day. Um, we've not only failed ourselves, but we failed one another and even more personally and deeply, we failed against God who will one day judge us. Uh, but thankfully that's not where we, that's not where we sit, right? That's not where we, we stop. Um, so yes, God created us. He's our judge. He's our creator. Um, and we are sinful, but yet Christ, but God, uh, in his mercy, uh, loved us so much that at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, uh, Romans says in chapter 5. Um, so Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, came into this world. He became incarnate. He took on flesh upon himself. So the second person of the Trinity lowered himself and became one of us. And Jesus lived the perfect life that we could never have lived. Perfect obedience to the law. Um, at the cross, Jesus died for our sins. That's true. 
Um, and this is where we can really focus in on what, what does that even mean? You can tell people, I mean, people, this is something I say all the time. Uh, you know, people say all the time, Jesus died for my sins, Jesus died for my sins, but people don't really stop and think about what does that mean? Uh, and here we can talk about the sweet exchange, as it's been called. So, um, so our sins, all of our sins, past, present, and future, have been laid upon Christ. And on the cross, God the Father poured out his full wrath on his own son. This is the word propitiation, uh, the appeasement of God's wrath. Um, the, the, all the sin was paid for. The penalty of death is sin, and Jesus paid for it. At the same time, that's not it. At the same time, all of the righteousness and the goodness and the perfection, the perfect record of life that Jesus lived was put on us when we repent of our sins and believe in him. And so this is the sweet exchange that happens at the cross. Our sins were put on Christ, and Christ's righteousness is given to us. Um, and not only that, um, I th- Anne, I think you said the, the resurrection is... is um, who was it that said resurrection? You did. Thank you. So, um, so yeah, th- it doesn't stop there, right? Jesus is not dead. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> Jesus is not dead. He rose again from the dead. Uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus rose again from the dead on the third day, and he lives and reigns uh, even now in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And, uh, and so God, man, Christ, and now we go into response. So what is our response to this good news? Well, the New Testament uh, tells us over and over again to uh, repent and believe. Mark chapter 1, verse 15 says, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. John chapter 3, verse 36 Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 20, verse 21. Testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So, uh, this isn't our working to, uh, to earn credit with God. We're not working to be saved, right? This is a natural reaction that when we truly understand this good news, the gospel of our salvation, we both turn away from our sins and we believe in Jesus. And this is something that we know to be true of ourselves, right? We haven't reached this perfection. We repent every day. We believe every day, right? Right? Yes. Um, and, uh, and so it starts from the first day of conversion and it keeps on going. But this is something that we, uh, we require of uh, people when we share the gospel. Um, so let me, let me just clarify again that this is a call to repent and believe. This is what I said from the beginning. This is a compassionate call for them to respond to the gospel. So we're not forcing people to pray a prayer. Uh, we're not forcing them to become converted. We are inviting them to respond to Christ's uh, call to salvation. So again, we are... One beggar telling another beggar where to get the bread. Um, so let me give you an example of what does this mean. So how, how practically, how do I tell, how do I give somebody an invitation to, um, to, to repent and believe? I'm not going to tell them, you know, um, hey, if you don't, you know, if you don't take heed to this, you're going to die in hell for all eternity, right? That, that's not very winsome, of course. Um, something that I typically say um, uh, so-and-so, I don't think it's a coincidence that we met here today or uh, that we're having this conversation right now. Uh, I can tell you that when I first heard this gospel, when I understood the good news of Jesus Christ, um, I turned away from my sins and I believed in Jesus. 
And I think God is calling you to do that, even today. Because something as simple and gentle as that, um, it's, it's an invitation for them to respond. So again, God, man, Christ, response. Um, David, did you have a question? Yeah. Um, I mean, you're, you're certainly not always going to um, have a, you know, a, a perfect, uh, quote-unquote, perfect you know, introduction into this conversation where they're bringing up no objections, you know, whatsoever. And of course, we'll talk about objections as we um, uh, go, go throughout the, the class, but um, in, the fall, in the following weeks. But um, yeah, I think, man, it's, it's tough to, to talk about generalities when it's so much easier to just kind of engage with somebody when you're face-to-face kind of talking to them, right? Because you, you know them by experience or, or uh, you know, you, you have some background in their conversation. But um, yeah, I think, you know, when, when it comes to, to, um, to scripture, at least, at least from, my, from my standpoint and how I think of it, I mean, I'm, um, uh, I do testify to the scriptures that they are true and, uh, and, and, and that they are uh, accurate and that they are divine, that they are written by God and that they're therefore authoritative for, for you and for me. Um, but, um, yeah, I think at that point it becomes more of an intellectual uh, response and um, again we we can't browbeat somebody and we can't you know force them to intellectually you know come to uh, come to faith in Christ that we rely on the Holy Spirit and his well, and his working work the Holy Spirit it's not anything we're doing exactly. it's going to be the Holy Spirit that that penetrates and, and reveals himself mm-hmm. to yeah. so, Amen. I, I agree with yeah, that. so it's not going to be I mean he's going to use us yeah. maybe yeah. but ultimately not anything we say is Amen. That Amen. Thank you. Man. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think. Um, uh, I mean, one second, Ashley. Um, one thing that I've that I've really sought to to. How much time do we have there? Two, three minutes. Okay. Um, one thing that uh, that I try to do is try to memorize scripture. Um, and uh, and and when we when we memorize scripture, um, that's even more reliance on the Holy Spirit's you know doing right because as we're as we're talking and having these conversations with somebody. Um, we can share a verse that comes to mind that is really relevant for what's going on in this conversation. At that point, it's God's work, you know. Um, I think um, C.H. Spurgeon once said that, uh, you know, the, the Bible is like the lion. You don't have to defend it. You know, you just let it go. It, it does its own thing, right? Um, so as we, as we share the gospel, we can share uh, uh, scripture with them and, uh, and let God do his work. Um, uh, Nick, remind me, there's the passage in, in Isaiah where, uh, come on, preacher, <laughs> uh, where he says, you know, um, uh, my word will not return to me void, right? You, Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, thank you. And uh, so we, we trust in that. We believe in that. There we go. All right. Um, were you going to say something, Ashley? we got to wrap this up. Well, I was actually going to say the same quote that it's hard. Right. One last comment, and then we'll, we'll pray and, and cut it. Um, I see Nick glaring at me. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so David, when somebody brings up those objections, what's to say that you have to, I mean, why not ask them even more questions? Well, you say that you don't trust scripture. Why do you believe that? Yeah, yeah. And, and hey, I'd be happy to help you with it. Why don't you come over next week and we can go over it together? Um, something like that. But yeah, yeah asking them, prying further, um, um, and, and really helping them flesh out their answers. Okay, are, why are they saying what they're saying? What, what's the motive of, of, of their answer? 
Um, so anyway, thank you so much for your time. Man, that went super quickly. Um, thank you for, uh, for, uh, for being here this morning. Let's, uh, let's pray. Um, and uh, oh, one, one quick thing. Um, so I want for us to, again, be very practical with, uh, with this class. And again, we're not just here for intellectualism, right? We want to actually um, share the gospel with others. And um, so anyway, um, if you um, have uh, stories that you want to share with the class or with me, I'd, I'd love to hear them. Uh, it'd be super encouraging. Um, and, uh, and as we come every Sunday, I want, I want to encourage you guys to think about three people in your life, uh, three people who don't know Christ, that, uh, that as we're uh, considering the gospel and, and talking about the gospel and then sharing the gospel, um, let's Let's be in particular um, prayer and, and thinking about three people in our life who, who we need to share the gospel with, or at least continue to do so. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time that we were able to spend together. Um, Lord, you are so merciful and gracious to us. Thank you that you have called us as ambassadors of Christ and that you have given us this privilege to share the good news with others. Lord, we pray that you would help us not to live in fear. Uh, but in, uh, in, in your power and, uh, and, and to not live in timidity, uh, but to trust in you. So, Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit as we go about our week. Uh, we pray for the, the three people in our life who, uh, who, who need you and who you are bringing into our mind, Lord, Lord, in our minds. Lord, we pray that um, even now that you would go and start working in their hearts, that you would soften their hearts, open their eyes and their ears to receive your word. Help us, Lord, to... Uh, to reach out in compassion as one beggar tells another beggar where to receive their bread. In Jesus' name, amen.